Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, May 9th, 2016. Wait till you hear the Mother's Day sermon. We'll be reviewing in hour number two. Yeah, that includes you men, by the way. You're going to hear about how it's important for men to gestate. I am so not making that up. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I'm your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage. Crazy, bizarre things being said out there. We take the time to open up our Bible and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there, especially by the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose curriculum we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, that, that's what we do here. What we do is politically incorrect. It does call, cause weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's, well, it's all necessary. And the, the way I like to tell it to people is I don't ever expect you to give me the benefit of the doubt. If you're thinking, man, this guy, just listen with an open Bible. Yeah, no open mind. Open Bible. That's right. That's what we do here. So um, yesterday was Mother's Day. And, uh, you know, I don't particularly enjoy reviewing Mother's Day sermons, but I thought I would check in with a few of them to see if any were worthy to bring into the air. And uh, Nicole Crank's uh, Mother's Day sermon, well, it made the bill. It just, it, wow. So uh, those of you who sometimes can't hang on through hour number two. Yeah, you're going to be banging your head against the wall <laughs> with this sermon because it's a Mother's Day sermon, also including men. Men can be mothers because they have to birth dreams. Yeah, no, I wish I was making that up. So <laughs> we're kind of starting backwards, if you would, just because I still can't believe what I was listening to prior to coming on the air. All right, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We have a few things we need to do today. We're going to start off with a Joyce Meyer update. Yeah, that's right, Joyce Meyer. And we're going to learn how to experience triumph over opposition. And she's going to start off this um, segment, if you would, with something I think is really dubious. Apparently, if you want to improve your life, 
you are going to face opposition. And Jesus apparently warned us that this would be the case. And it's like, yeah, I don't think that's what Jesus was. Well, you'll get the point when we get there. And then we're going to switch gears altogether. We're going to head on over to Lakewood. We got a Joel Osteen update. <laughs> and we're, <laughs> oh man, this, <laughs> this is so weird. The name of the message we're going to listen to a portion of is titled The Secret Place. Mm-hmm. The Secret Place. And apparently we need to have a secret place where we keep our happy thoughts. That's the best way I can describe <laughs> what we're going to hear uh, Joel Osteen talk about. We'll take a break after that. And when we come back from our break, well, then we have an extended Beth Moore update. And this one is, it, it's while well, it's typical Beth Moore narcissists, we'll, we'll say that. What she's doing and how she's reading this biblical text that she's working on and from the Old Testament and what she turns it into. Apparently, the promised land equals the place of our productivity. You know, God's calling us into a place of productivity. And it's just weird what she does with this text. And and it's, yeah, you, you kind of have to hear it. It's a little more subtle than uh, normal. Then in hour number two, like I said, we're going to head down to Faith Church in St. Louis and we're going to listen to Nicole Crank's Mother's Day sermon yesterday. Um, From Barren to Birthing Your Dreams is the name of her Mother's Day sermon. <laughs> I, you know, you just can't make this stuff up. So that'll be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. We have a lot of ground that we have to cover. And since we're starting off with a Joyce Meyer update, that requires us to do this. <laughs> got to accentuate to positive elim Monet to negative and latch on to the affirmative Don't mess with Mr. In-Between You got to spread joy up to the maximum Bring gloom down to the minimum Have faith or pandemonium liable to walk upon yeah, that's right. You got to accentuate the uh, the positive. So um, Joyce Meyer, a recent episode of hers, she's teaching us how to triumph over opposition. Apparently, if you want to improve yourself, you're going to face opposition. Now, I, I, I you're going to hear her say it, but I'm going to go ahead and challenge it ahead of time. I'm throwing a challenge flag before I even play any audio from this. And, you know, as a parent, <laughs> you know, as a parent. Um, when my children decide they want to improve themselves, you know, maybe go to college, you know, you know, find a job, you know, move out of the basement, things like that. Um, (laughs) not that my kids live in the basement, but, uh, you know, a parent doesn't sit in there and go, Oh no, 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 no. I don't want you improving your life. I'm going to oppose you on that. It doesn't, this, this is a weird theology, at least the way is that this is pitched by Joyce Meyer, but I'll go ahead and let her explain it to you. Here's Joyce Meyer. Every time that you take a step to build anything, whether it's to build your life, to build your faith, to build your marriage, anytime that you're... So you want to build your marriage. People are going to be, no, 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 can't do that. What is she talking about? Attempting to make any kind of progress at all in your life, you will get opposition. Who does this? You know, you know, there's police 
patrolling the area. You know, it's like, whoa, whoa, we got a, we got a report that the couple on, on, uh, on Wilson Street, yeah, that, that, uh, on the 600 block of Wilson Street, that we heard that they're trying to improve their marriage. Oh, we got to put an end to that. We, we're going to show up at the door. Yeah, are, are you, are you trying to improve your marriage? Well, yes, we are. Oh, no, no. We're going to have to write you up for that. Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. Yeah, that's because we're Christians. The tribulation we face as Christians because of our faith in Christ, because of our confession of Christ, our confession that he is the one true God, that salvation is found in nobody except for him. It does, Jesus wasn't saying you're going to face opposition because you want to improve your marriage. That's a promise, just like sow and you will reap. The enemy is not at all happy that you're here today. He's not happy that I'm here today. Yeah, I doubt that. I, I'm pretty sure the enemy is the one who put together this speaking engagement that you're actually speaking at right now. And Honestly, it would probably be amazing if we knew how many people fully intended to come. But some opposition came their way, and they didn't know how to press through it. Right. You know, maybe somebody, you know, a Christian friend with actual discernment said, you don't need, you don't want to go to that Joyce Meyer speaking engagement because that woman twists God's word. She's a, she's a false teacher. Well, that's what, well, that's opposition. You know, and they didn't know how to press through that. Yeah, it's real simple. Open up your Bible and and check out the claim to see if it actually is true. And lo and behold, you know what you'll find out? Well, she is a Bible twister. She's a false teacher. This is an example of it. You know, the Bible says in Colossians 3 that we should set our mind and keep it set. And I think that's so valuable. When you make up your mind you're going to do something, don't change it in the next five minutes because it looks like it's going to be difficult or a little bit inconvenient. If there's anything we need, we need to know what we're supposed to be doing, and we need to go do it irregardless of how we feel. People ask me. Yeah, apparently you really want to show the devil in the world that you're 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 a fighter. You you go to a, a, a Joyce Meyer speaking engagement. People ask me sometimes, how do you feel about all the travel you have to do? And I said one time, you know what? I haven't asked myself in a long time. And it's amazing what all you can do if you don't ask yourself how you feel about it. I She's the ultimate example of the one who pushes through opposition, you know, ignoring all of the people who point out that what she's saying is biblically false. I ask myself how I feel about exercising anymore because I just know it's something that I'm going to do. So you are going to get opposition. Now, you may not get a lot of opposition if you're just not trying to do anything with your life. But I can tell you the absolute truth. I would be more concerned if the devil wasn't bothering me than if he was. Did you? Why would the devil bother you? You're on his payroll. What I'm saying? At least if the enemy's coming against you, you know you're probably trying to do something right. And that you need to keep... On, keeping on. And I think it's important for people to understand this. You will have opposition, but it's not anything that you need to be overly concerned about because you're already a winner. That's right. You're the head. You're not the tail. You, know, you just need to speak positive words and create a positive future for yourself, you know. 
Romans 8 says that we are more than conquerors. Yes, it does, but it's not really referencing the things you're talking about. Right in the midst of all of these things that are going on, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us and that nothing can separate us from that love. Well, I think being more than a conqueror means that even before trouble comes, I already know how it's going to end. That doesn't mean that we love going through it, but here's the good news. We can go through it and come out on the other side. I thought the good news that was that Christ died for our sins. So often when you ask somebody how they are, they'll tell you what they're going through. But really, I think we need to congratulate them that they're going through. Thank God that you're not stuck in the middle or that you're not buried underneath, but you're going through and you're going to come out on the other side. Whatever you're going through now, you're going to make it. Whatever you're going through right now. Why is she making a promise that God has not actually made? I mean, maybe what you're going through will lead to your demise. You don't know that. You don't know whether or not you're going to get through it or not. You're going to come out on the other side. This too will end. This too will pass. And can I tell you something interesting? This is a secret that the enemy doesn't know. He may be listening, but he won't believe us anyway. When you come out on the other end of this thing that you're going through that's hard, you're going to be a better person than you were before you went in. Yeah, all that opposition to you trying to improve your marriage. Well, you'll be a better person at the end of that, yeah. You know what else you're going to have? You're going to have more experience with the faithfulness of God. And so then the next time you have trouble, it's not even going to bother you as much as it did this time because now you've seen the faithfulness of God. So it's much easier for you to believe God the next time. And so every time that happens, you become more skilled at trusting God. And so then you know what happens? You come to the point eventually where you're really not even that aware when opposition is in your way because you've just learned how to deal with stuff and just go on with your life and do what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, you know, when somebody decides to oppose you for, you know, getting healthy, you know. yeah, The greatest time of the year for opposition that people experience is, you know, during their New Year's resolutions, you know. Whole group of people go, no, no, you can't, you can't make a resolution. No, you can't improve yourself. Uh, oppose, oppose, oppose. Yeah, I don't think so. Anything is much harder in the beginning of our walk with God than it is if you stick it out. How I many of you have been walking with God for a long time and you can verify that? That the more, the longer you walk with God, the easier it is to just go through things. You know, I have a little message that I do sometimes called making it through the middle. And, you know, there's a beginning to things and hopefully there's an end to things. Sadly, some people never get to the end of anything because they don't know how to make it through the middle. Yeah, that middle part, yeah. Especially when you're trying to improve your marriage and all the opposition that comes against you for that, yeah. We want to talk some about how to triumph over opposition. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumph. Yeah, out of context, yeah. We're going to get all kinds of triumph over that opposition to trying to improve our marriage, you know. I say always. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have to cooperate with God. We do. We can derail our own victory. 
But if we will listen to God. Yeah, always doesn't mean always. Apparently, it just means most of the time, as long as you're not derailing your victory. What? Do what he asks us to do and be steadfast. You'll always come out on the other side. I want to say again, and I may say it 20 times this morning. Whatever you're going through, you're going to get through it and come out victorious on the other side. Yeah, which is a promise God has not actually made. You're making promises for God he doesn't make, and you're twisting God's word to make it look like he's promising you that when he isn't. I think people need to hear that today. Everybody say, I'm going to make it. Thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumph as trophies of Christ's victory. Many years ago, it was the Thanksgiving morning. Yeah, I think we need to do a little bit of uh, textual work here. Second Corinthians chapter 2. Let's take a look at the context of what Paul is talking about there to see if this is talking about triumph in the face of opposition for when you're trying to improve your marriage and things like that. 2 Corinthians 2, context, 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 starting at verse 1. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure for all of you that my joy would be the joy of, of you all, for I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart with many tears, not to cause you pain, but let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him, for this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one a fragrance from death to death, to another a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So you notice when we put this back in context, well, Paul's not saying, you know, you're when people oppose you because you're trying to improve your marriage and, you know, get, get a better job and stuff like that. Yeah, that's not what's going on here. He's saying, thanks be to God, who in Christ leads us in a triumphal procession um, through uh, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere. Yeah, that's just fascinating what's going on in this twisting by Joyce Meyer. And I was in my little office where I go every morning and pray and spend time with God. And 
I started to thank God, especially that day because it was Thanksgiving. And I had kind of a little, like I saw something in the spirit. And oh, your direct revelation, she's claiming here. I saw like a, a trophy case with all these little trophies in it. Oh, wow. I wonder if she's going to exegete this vision she thinks came from God. You know, sometimes you'll go in somebody's home and maybe if they've got a child that plays sports and the child is really good at those sports, they might have a certain area in their house where they keep a lot of trophies. And that lets you know then that whoever got those trophies is an expert at that particular thing or they're very good at that particular thing. And so... As I waited to kind of see what what that meant, what I was saying meant, God spoke to my heart, and I was not aware of this scripture at this time. And what he put on my heart is he said, you're a trophy of my grace. You've gone through. You've come out on the other side. Yeah, so she's exegeting what she believes is a direct revelation from God. Mm-hmm. You're now using... While she twisted God's word, which is weird because if God, the Holy Spirit's actually talking to Joyce Meyer, I think the thing that the Holy Spirit would be saying to her is stop twisting my word. Your pain to help other people. And he said, I have a trophy for you in my heavenly trophy case, letting people know that I'm an expert at restoring messed up lives. Amen. Oh, so God has a trophy for... uh... Joyce Meyer, the expert at restoring messed up lives. I thought that's what Jesus really did. Weird. Yeah, so I think you kind of get the idea. Triumph over opposition. Well, this makes me want to oppose Joyce Meyer even more because, you know, she's literally preaching herself rather than Christ, claiming the ability to receive direct revelation from God and then exegeting that so-called direct revelation uh, in the course of her teaching, while all the while, while twisting the written word of God. It's really fascinating here. Yeah, I think we need to make sure she experiences more opposition until she repents. Yeah, because that's what's really necessary here. Moving along, time for a Joel Osteen update. That requires us to do this. When I'm feeling lonely, sad as I can be. All by myself in uncharted island in an endless sea. What makes me happy fills me up with glee. Those bones in my jaw that don't have a flaw, my shiny teeth and me. My shiny teeth that twinkle just like the stars in space. My shiny teeth that sparkle and beauty to my face. My shiny teeth that glisten just like the Christmas tree. Another walk a mile just to see me smile. Woo! Shiny teeth and me. Yeah, that's right. That's Chip Skylark and Shiny Teeth and Me. So we're going to be listening to a portion of a message by Joel Osteen titled, are you ready for this? The Secret Place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This, <laughs> I don't know how to prepare you for what it is that you're about to hear. There's no way to prepare you. Um, so just sit back and... Uh, Hang on to something. You might want to, you know, get, grab something to stick in your teeth so that you can uh, grit it out. You know what I'm saying? Here's Joel Osteen in The Secret Place. Well, God bless you. It's always a joy to come into your homes. And if you're ever in our area, please stop by and be a part of one of our services. I promise you, we will make you feel right at home. 
finest people in all of Houston, Texas, right here at Lakewood. So come out whenever you can. But thank you guys for being here today. And I like to start with something funny. And please know this is just a joke. Don't be offended. But I heard about this blonde lady. She was driving down the freeway when she got pulled over by a female police officer who also happened to be blonde. The officer asked for a driver's license. She dug and dug in her purse, getting more and more agitated and couldn't find it. Finally asked the officer, what does it look like? She said, it's a little square that has your picture on it. The lady found a mirror, saw herself and said, oh, and handed it to the officer. The officer looked in the mirror and saw herself and handed it back and said, you can go. I didn't realize you were a police officer. (laughs) Hold up your Bible. Say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I will be taught the Word of God. No, you won't. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, God bless you. I want to talk to you today about the secret place. (laughs) Yeah, we're off to a bad start. The what? In the Old Testament, there was something called the Holy of Holies. Yeah, this is true. That was the inner part of the temple where the presence of God was. Yep, that's right. It was a restricted area, very protected. No one could go in there except the priest and only with them certain times a year. Yep. They had to take the right sacrifices, be extremely careful. They knew if everything wasn't in order, they didn't treat it with the utmost respect and honor, they would be killed. It was a very serious thing. Yeah, killed by God himself, yeah. So they went to great lengths to guard it and to keep the wrong things out. In the same way, every one of us should have a holy of holies. (laughs) Oh, man. So because there was a holy of holies in the temple, we need it within ourselves to create a holy of holies within ourselves, right? Yeah, talk about narcissistic eisegesis. I mean, taking the temple and the Holy of Holies and (laughs) making it really, well, that's the type in shadow. The reality is the secret place that you keep inside of you. Oh, man. Can't wait to hear more of the details. Not a physical place. No. But down in you, there should be a secret place, an inner sanctuary where you don't allow everything in, any worry, I just, I don't even have words for this. Offense, bitterness, trouble, turmoil. That may be happening on the outside, but you guard your secret place. Yeah, with, you know, maybe guns and hand grenades. You got to guard your secret place, man. Don't let it into your inner sanctuary. Yeah, your secret place is where you keep your happy thoughts. Yeah. Your secret place should be a place of peace. Of rest, of faith. Like I said, your secret place is where you keep your happy thoughts. Where you know God is in control. But if you make the mistake of letting everything in, constantly dwelling on your difficulties, living worried, upset, offended. Well, then you're not guarding your secret place. The problem is your secret place will become contaminated. I can tell you, in all the years I've been a Christian and have been a pastor, I have never heard somebody ask the question, 
Is your secret place contaminated? (laughs) This is where you live out of. It's the core of who you are. Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart. Yeah, and Proverbs wasn't talking about basically keeping our happy thoughts in our secret place. That's not what Proverbs 4.23 is about. For out of it flow the issues of life. This is saying, above everything, protect your secret place. (laughs) What on earth? Why are these people sitting through this as if this is biblical teaching? This is nonsense. If you're allowing everything in, what they said, what didn't work out, the disappointment, the hurt, the pain, the stress, the traffic, then because your secret place is poisoned, it will impact everything about you. Oh, no. Do they have like anti-venom or some kind of antidote for the poison if your secret place gets contaminated? Oh, man. Your attitude, your relationships, your joy, your vision, out of your secret place flow the issues of life. We all have negative things come against us. We can't get away from that. Yeah, especially when you're trying to, you know, improve your marriage. I mean, that's what we learned from Joyce Meyer. I mean, the Bible clearly teaches we're going to face opposition if we decide to, you know, improve ourselves and things like that, you know, especially if you want to make our marriages better. So we better guard our secret places so they don't get poisoned and keep our happy thoughts there, you know. Don't bring it close to you. Quit giving it so much attention. Reliving the hurt thinking about the offense, dwelling on the disappointment, that doesn't belong in your inner sanctuary. Not in your happy secret place, yeah. This is a very hallowed space. Yeah, super holy, that secret place of yours, yeah. You have to keep your secret place consecrated. No. What on earth is going on in the church? (laughs) Are you keeping your secret place consecrated? How many sacrifices do I need to make in order to consecrate my secret place after it's been poisoned? Depart. You're very selective about what you allow in. If you don't respect your secret place, if you don't guard your inner sanctuary, then you'll go through life offended, worried, upset, discouraged. And this is why many people have no joy, no peace. They're always down. It's not because they have more difficulties necessarily. It's because they're not protecting their secret place. Oh, that's, that's the explanation. Finally, we know why that's happening now. It's not found in the Bible. But, you know, I don't recall any of the apostles telling us the importance of guarding our secret places. And sometimes when people see you in peace, you're always consistent. They think... You must not have any problems. I wish I had your life. You should see what I'm dealing with. The truth is, we all face difficulties. We all have unfair situations. The difference is the people that are in peace, positive, hopeful, they're not allowing the negative into their inner sanctuary. Right. They've learned how to guard their secret place and keep it consecrated. Yeah. And things can be happening on the outside. A friend did you wrong. Set back in your health, the feelings will come. Offense, worry, discouragement. You can't stop the feelings from coming, but you can stop them from getting into your secret place. <laughs> Ay, 
man. I'm not saying to never feel worried, never feel offended, never feel discouraged. That's not reality. Feelings are a part of Yeah, well, this sermon is not reality, not biblical. Life. I'm saying don't bring it close to you. You have to put your foot down, say this person did me wrong, but I'm not going to be offended. God is my vindicator. The medical report is not good. I'm not living worried. Nothing can snatch me out of God's hands. Right, yeah, that because I'm consecrated my guarding my secret place thingy. Right. I didn't get that promotion, but I'm not sitting around in self-pity. I know God has something better in store. You have to protect your secret place. I, I mean, this guy is like a false doctrine factory. I mean, it, it, this year's models of uh, false doctrine, I mean, they are so ridiculously absurd. They don't look anything like sound biblical doctrine at all. I mean, it, but you know, every year he comes out with brand new models of false doctrine. This year's model, quite the mess. I think you get the point. I mean... Yeah, I mean, have you been guarding your secret place? Did it get poisoned? Maybe you have to re-consecrate it. Yeah, because, you know, there was a holy of holies in the temple, so you have to have a secret place. (sighs) Wow. I mean, (laughs) you just, you can't make this stuff up anymore. It's just so bizarre. All right, I think you get the point. We're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. We got a Beth Moore update, extended one, really kind of more subtle, but still twisting of God's word. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> I don't know why we have to come to these small group sessions. They're just so boring. Hey, do you find that small groups just aren't that interesting or fun anymore? That's quite literally what I just said. Then we have the product just for you. New from Los Lobos Ministries is Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs. Well, what is it? Simple. 
Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs are an entire booklet loaded with fill-in-the-blank Bible passages. Aren't we supposed to read the scriptures the way they were originally written? None of you want to spice up your small group Bible studies. With Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs, you can make every passage be about you. Isn't scripture about Jesus? Only if you want it to be. In our postmodern age, it's stupid to think that such a thing as absolute truth actually exists. Every passage is open to interpretation. Read the example. But now that you have been set free from financial debt and have become warriors of God, the fruit you get leads to better sex and eternal life. For the wages of sin are smelly diapers, but the free gift of God is a really good tax return in Jesus Christ our Lord. That was absolutely heretical. Why would anyone butcher scripture like this? Because modern-day Christians like you don't endure sound doctrine. By popular demand, you've appointed leaders in the church who've given your itching ears what they want to hear and haven't looked back since. Ha! Suckers! This is just horrible. If you thought it couldn't get any worse, then you're just as foolish as Naval. We've already expanded the biblical Mad Lib franchise to include alternate Bible translations. That can't be good. You're right! It isn't! We now have Biblical Mad Libs in The Voice, the NIV, the KJV, the NKJV, and, for a limited time only, we have the Furtick Audaciously Revised Translation. Wait, doesn't that last one spell? Yes, it does spell fun. Not just fun for you, but for the entire small group. We've even created a Biblical Mad Libs Junior Edition to get the kids twisting scripture from a young age. I would never buy this for my children. Lucky for you, you don't have to. We're handing out free copies to every youth group in the nation. Plus, we're also including a special copy of Elevation Church's The Code Coloring Book for a little extra heretical flavor. You're not going to get away with this. You can't stop us. We're already in control. Resistance is futile. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today.
warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that, well, the Bible doesn't actually teach you to have a secret place where you keep your happy thoughts. (laughs) Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith 2 into the world, and you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. They're right there in the middle of the page. You can't miss them. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you uh, join our crew, you're signing up to automatically, well, choose an amount that you will contribute on a monthly basis. And uh, we've got four ranks in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey with a, a $9.95 a month commitment. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 and then Master Gunner at $49.95 and then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. These are, this is a great way to support us, by the way. Uh, it really helps us have a good, solid foundation financially so that we can make our bills and things like that. Of course, if you'd like to specify an amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, moving along, it's um, time for a Beth Moore update, and that requires us to do this. Able to narsegeta biblical text faster than a hummingbird, having had three shots of espresso from Starbucks. It's time for another episode of Narsegeting the Scriptures with Beth Moore. Today she's going to be narsegeting, well, the promised land and turning it into your land of productivity. I don't know how else to explain what it is that you're going to be listening to, but I assure you this is not what the Bible was written to mean. So, without any further ado... Here is Beth Moore on not forgetting to remember or something like that. Here we go. Look back at verse 8. I told you we'd be back to it where it talks about this good land. Um, for us, our Canaan is a, it's a good land. Wherever we he places us, that's a good land. It's going to be a- Our Canaan is wherever God places us. Yeah, this is totally to ignore what uh, Hebrews 11 teaches us regarding the promised land. It, the promised land of the Old Testament is really pointing to the real promised land, which is the new earth and the new Jerusalem, the city whose builder is God. Yeah, read the book of Hebrews chapter 11, and you'll see what I'm saying. So she's ignoring what Scripture teaches regarding what the promised land really is, and our Canaan is wherever God places us. Nope, we're off to a really bad start already. Fruitful land, and and look at this because he said the the land your your Lord your the Lord your God is giving you a good land. He talks about the water in it. And then he says in verse eight, I want you to count with me every single time I say a kind of produce. I want you to count. So with the first one, I just want everybody to say one, and then on a land of wheat one. and barley, Two. of vines Three. and fig trees Four. and pomegranates Five. and olive trees Six. and honey. Seven. All right. How many? Seven. How many? 
Seven. Isn't that interesting? It's going to be a good land. It begins, the description begins with a good land and saying God is giving you this good land. It closes in these verses from 8 to 10. Or 7, I believe, is where it starts with good and then closes up at 10. Yes, uh, verse 7, into a good land. And it closes up in verse 10 uh, for the Lord your God, for the good land he has given you. Within that good, he gives us exactly seven kinds of produce. Now, you know. That- so in the land that God's placed you. Yeah, God will give you seven types of produce. What? For other things. Is there a secret place where I can keep my happy thoughts there? But this is a biblical way of showing us that it will be completely productive. A beautiful number. How many things could he have said? But there's seven in this description of the good land. It means there will be complete productivity. Notice with me, this is important. So somebody just get their eyes on the page here. Notice that he says in verse nine, it is a land in which you will eat what? Tell me again, you will eat what? And, and, And it is a land you will also look at the latter half of it, that out of whose hill hills you can do what? Dig copper. So you're you're right. So are you digging copper out of your Canaan while guarding your secret place so that you can, you know, guard your happy thoughts? And if not, you might need to consecrate your secret place, you know, right. He gives them the wheat in in verse eight. He says it will be a land of wheat, but they're going to eat bread. So, I mean, if they can just sit and stare at their wheat stalk. What is she talking about? And go, in Jesus' name, be bread. In Jesus' name, be bread. They can take the wheat stalk and they can put it, um, they can put a piece of turkey on it. I was going to say ham, but they couldn't put ham <laughs> on their sandwich. We're free. We can. They could not. I mean, you can put it all, but it's going to be crunchy. It's going to be a little odd. Uh, but in the land of productiveness where our productivity begins to really live itself out in full cana is not our land of productivity you're narcissizing this text full throttle um uh, calling for that season we may not come into what we have truly been called to do for some amount of years where we realize this really is where all of this has been moving toward but where we're getting to be productive you will notice that in the wilderness he gave them manna he yeah. brought it to them. Do you know that the moment they got into that promised land, that manna ceased? The moment. You know what he- Yeah, so, I mean, if you're still in your manna moment, you know, if you cross over your Jordan and find yourself in your Cana, you know, in your promised land, well, expect that to be your land of productivity. And, yeah, there'll be no more manna for you. What? Even then, wheat. You know what he's saying? Go fix your bread. I'm giving you the tools. I'm giving you the ingredients for you to be able to come through with something marvelous. But if you just sit back, because we get all confused here and we think he was doing all of this. And now he's like, what is he giving you? Put it to work because in our land of productivity, we become the wonder us, the person what do you t- we become the wonder in our land of productivity says what biblical text what is this is able to do things through Christ that would be impossible in our flesh we want him to just i want my manna i want my manna okay well we can just sit right there and then we'll never ever grow up into our productivity never 
what is my mana and why would I want it? What are you talking about? Because we cease to, we're not, we're not going to cooperate and do any of the work. Oh no, we're not going to, we're not going to have any spiritual disciplines. You know, we're not going to do what it takes. We look at somebody else that we think is productive and we hear someone, we say, okay, now what does your life kind of consist of? And then we think, I don't have time for that. It was so, it was so funny because I'm here recently to my office, um, came a call to a really, really good friend of mine. All my, they're just my best friends at Living Proof. And, and, uh, she, she received a call that, uh, from a woman in Japan, uh, doing the Bible studies. And she said, well, um, is there a shorter version of the homework? <laughs> because we are busy here. And we just laugh because Bless her. We're busy here. You know, <laughs> we're, we all got our 24 seven and we all get to decide what we're going to do with it. We all get to decide how we're going to manage our time. But listen, if your wheat's going to become bread, you're going to have to spend some time with Jesus. You're if my wheat's going to become bread, what does this mean? I have to have some discipline. Right. Apparently you don't have any semantic or hermeneutical discipline at all. Because you sound like you're saying something profound, but you're not saying anything at all. It's what it's going to take. We're going to have to do the thing. We're, we're going to have to go out there and step in it, uh, put our weight into it, put our faith into it, and be part of it. You'll all step into what? Oh, see, did you see that we have to dig? Everybody say dig. dig. I want you. So I got to dig because you read a passage about digging copper. What are you talking about? Feel it. I want you to see it under your finger. We have to dig the copper. He said, you know, go. <laughs> Are you digging your copper while protecting your secret place? Yeah, I mean, Christianity has become really complicated now. <laughs> I don't even know what this means. Make bread and go dig out copper. Do you remember when they left Egypt? They just threw their treasures at them. Just threw them. Here, it's our gold and silver. And I mean, the Egyptians were just like throwing their treasures at them. It was just given to them right in their hand. But they get into the place of their productivity. Yeah. And he goes to dig it. Yeah. So when you get to your place of productivity, you got to dig it because you're no longer in your Egypt, you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. My mind's blown here. I don't even know how to cope with this. This is amazingly stupid. Dig it out. Everything will not be put in your hands because this is your place of productivity where you begin to know what I can do, not just for you, through you. This text doesn't teach any of this. All about what I could do through you, not just for you. I want to use you to show the great power of my name. Right. That's Of course that's what it means that you have to dig copper. Right. That's what this is about. So we, we get there into our place of productivity and... This text isn't about me or you. Not in this sense. Listen, some, if we're willing to, to work with him, um, some things happen. And I mean, it's like stunning things happen. And it's like, whoa, uh, God, I can't believe you did that. And because we've been in bondage and, and we've been through a lot, we're still very, very um, humbled by it. So we'll just serve anyway. I mean, just Lord, if you can use me, just use me. We'll I, I, this, I, how do you outline this? This is not a lucid exegesis. This is it's an irrational 
narcissists that we're listening to. What is this woman saying? Anyway, we'll serve anybody for a while. And then, well, I don't want to really, I don't want to do that. And I don't really like doing that for them. And it gets to where it matters more. And Right, all because, you know, the digging copper part. Right, yeah. We do it, and, you know, no one even appreciates me. No, yeah, no. Clearly, I don't appreciate your Bible teaching because you're twisting it. And um, we just get where I don't want to just serve anyone, and I don't want to just do anything. I need some press here. Um, and then we start taking God for granted. And then yeah, you can't find copper in granite. Yeah, I just wrote that myself. Indiscernibly, we start taking God's credit. And then we are dropped to our grounds back in bondage. And it... <laughs> okay, so while you're digging copper, don't take God's credit while you're, you know, doing the bread thing because then God will pick you up and throw you right back to Egypt. Right. All starts again. Yeah. Because we have bowed the knee to the God of me. Which is what you're doing here by reading yourself into a biblical text where you are not. Let there be no mistaking that the biggest idolatry problem that we will have will be the God of me. And ironically, this is quite an example of the God of me getting in the way of rightly understanding God's word. It's just palpably ironic. And the whole process starts again. I love the uh, New International Commentary of the Old Testament translation of verse 14 when it says, then your heart will be lifted up and you will forget the Lord your God. It says this, then you may become proud and forget the Lord your God. Yeah, cross-referencing Deuteronomy 8.14. Yeah, Nikot, by the way, is great commentary series, but um, that was a cross-reference. The you there still is referring to Israel, not you and me. When, okay, when we are in pride, even when we just are in pride because we're right, and maybe we are, but... We're in pride about it. We cannot remember God and be full of pride at the same time. It, it, there's not enough headspace for it. Uh, one overwhelms the other. We're either full of ourselves or we're, or we're full of uh, our, um, our uh, givenness to the Lord our God, but not ever at the same time. Jer jot down Jeremiah 22, 21, if you're able. 22, 21, it says, I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said, I will not listen. There's something about it. See, if we could handle the giftedness that God would like to give, if we could only handle it. But he said, here's what happens. I prosper you, and then um, I try to speak to you in your prosperity, and you don't listen to me. Because there's something about like being like desperate that really opens up the ears, doesn't it? But then there's just like, now we're full, and all of a sudden... Um, we can't hear him anymore. And I just want to submit to you that we, all of us, all of us. So is this a diagnosis of why you're seeing yourself in this text? Then, I mean, is it because you're so full of yourself? You can't actually see this is 
not about you and the way you're teaching is? Um, particularly some of us. I throw myself into that category. I mean, we are, I'll talk physically for just a moment. We've already said ta- intangibly just the giftedness and the anointing that God is willing to give us in our productivity. But we also, in this nation, in the West, in the prosperous West, we are up to, picture it, because the Lord gave me this picture this morning. We are up to... The, the Lord gave you a picture this morning via direct revelation? Yeah, I don't think so. If God were speaking to you, uh, Beth, he would be saying, stop twisting my word. Our ears in stuff. Up to our ears. And it's very important that we know it's up to our ears because it's in our ears. It's in our ears. And um, some of it, and this is between you and God, some of it we need to give away. Uh, you know, one of the things that God has really put on my heart, he goes, you know, Beth, use it. I, ha- I mean, have it to use. But... If you don't use it, lose it in my closet. And I say this, I say, I go through my closet pretty often. And one of the things I said, and I speak out loud to myself because I'll stop at a shirt. My, my rule is if you have not worn it in the last year, girl, you don't get it. Get rid of it. And and what does this have to do with the passage of scripture that you read about going into the promised land and like nothing at all, your word wardrobe and what's in your closet has nothing whatsoever to do with this text. Toward the end of that year, I go, oh, I start putting on all manner of things. And I'll look just strange. I'll look kind of out of character at work, but I'm just going like, huh, my year's almost up. And so, um, so, and I say out loud to myself, this, this happened just, just about a week and a half ago. I say to myself, girlfriend, you wear it or share it. You wear it or share it. You either put it on your body or you get it out of that closet and out of those drawers. Get rid of it. If you do not wear it, you share it. And, and so that's that just part of what, just to get it, okay, we're up to hearing stuff, but if we're up to here, we can't hear. So at least get the stuff down to the shoulders. Get the stuff out of the ears. Is that making sense to anybody? If we don't, are we sinning because you said that God showed you this? I mean, this is so convoluted. I'll once again display uh, a grasp of the obvious, but the only way we're not going to forget is because we're going to deliberately remember. You will forget if you do not deliberately remember. You won't just like naturally. What are you talking about now? Keep it. You'll have to think I intend I purpose to remember where my God has brought me. So don't forget to remember, and there's going to be a couple of them, just just a few. Number one is this, back based on verse 2 where it says, um, and you shall remember the whole way the Lord your God brought you. I had you say the whole way before, but this is a new moment. So everybody say the whole way. So the first one is don't forget to remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you. Uh, I mean... Blind leading the blind. They really think they're being taught the Bible, and they're not. Whole way. Now, verses 14 through 16 describe this way, and it talks about this great and terrifying place and the score. Yeah, Deuteronomy 8, 14 through 16. And um, and all the uh, frights that were there, but then it talks about how they thirsted, but then it gets into, listen, I brought you Water from a rock. Uh, just go there with me. Maybe we've been in this so long that we have lost sight of that. But I just want you to picture being really thirsty. And like then uh, a, a rock is hit and a rock, a rock, and out pours this fountain 
cool, refreshing water. I want you to picture it. And I, I, and he says then, and I brought you manna. Uh, the whole way, the whole way, all that it entailed. Yeah, yeah the you there is, well, the children of Israel. I'm great and terrifying. Um, two main versions. The ESV says that terrifying, the terrifying part. The NAS says terrible. Um, I want you, as you look back over your journey with God, it's important not only to remember. This text isn't about my journey with God in this, in the way you're preaching it. Remember the, the good parts, but let's, what, what are those three words again? The hot, what? The whole way. Say back to me. The whole way. The whole way. Like, this is going to help me understand this text. Good night. She's just making it even more confusing. Um, not only the good parts, but also the terrible parts or the terrifying parts. Now, I'm not saying go back and relive the whole emotion, but remember it. Remember it. Never forget how terrible or terrifying our times of bondage were. Never. Never. It should be still so implanted on our mind, not the guilt of it, um, not the ongoing um, bondage of it, but that the feeling of what it was like to live apart from our total submission to the authority and the freedom that is in Christ, to remember what it was like to be in complete bondage. That's- um, which of you can say that you are in total submission to Christ? That would mean you don't sin anymore. Very, very important. And for me, it was not only terrible, it was terrifying. I terrified myself. It just wasn't things around me. I mean, plenty of those terrified me, but I terrified my own self. Then, But I also had like, when he was bringing me out, I'd be just, I have water from a rock. Not physically. Yeah, I've never had water from a rock. What are you talking about? But in, I can't even tell you, fed me. Man, I mean, I ate the word like it was... Ambrosia. I can't tell you what it tasted like to me. And I, I jotted down in my notes. Remember the awful and the awesome because both provoke awe. I just want you to see those two words in your mind. Here's awful. Yeah, I mean, this is like not even a lucid teaching. I, why are these women like taking notes going, wow, this is so profound. I mean, this is nonsense. And here's awesome. But both of them provoke awe. When God says, lest you forget and not fear the Lord your God, that fear is awe of him, awe of him. And the awful awes me before God. And the awesome. Yeah, this was awful and it doesn't cause me awe except for the fact that I'm just sitting here slack-jawed and totally stunned that anybody would think that this is actual biblical teaching. It wasn't even lucid. The only glue that kind of held all the thoughts together was the fact that she kept talking about and preaching about herself, teaching you just to read yourself into these biblical texts in a way that doesn't make a, a lick of sense at all because the scriptures are not about you. They are about Christ and what he has done for you. I think you kind of get the point. All right, we are up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break and we come back in the Cold Crank Mother's Day sermon. 
just for you fathers, too, to learn that you need to be a mother in gestating your dreams. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. All right, hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. I hope you're sitting down, especially you men. This is the out-of-left-field Mother's Day sermon. That includes you men needing to learn how to be mothers. Yeah, you need to birth dreams, you know. I think I think I had a C-section when I was birthing one of my dreams, but uh, left a scar. It was terrible. Here we go. Hey, oh. Good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon? I don't know what to call this thing. Comes to us via Faith Church St. Louis. Nicole Crank presiding. And no, she's not a pastor, although she poses as one. The, the name of the sermon is From Barren to Birthing Your Dream. From Barren to Birthing Your Dream. It's yesterday's Mother's Day sermon. I don't know how else to warn you. Like I said, you might want to assume the crash position 
Put on protective padding. Put on a helmet for sure. Whatever you do, just don't do anything that could risk your life while listening to this sermon. Especially you men. So that's all I got to say. Let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here's Nicole Crank. You've been warned. Here we go. Happy Mother's Day! You know what? Would all of the mothers in the house please stand up? We want to just honor you for thank you for changing all those diapers we didn't see in the middle of the night. Taking those middle of the night phone calls, cleaning all those rooms we thought stayed clean on their own somehow. Thank you for loving us, even when we weren't so lovable. And everybody in the house said amen. Amen. You know, the weird thing about it is I noticed that only the the women stood up for Mother's Day. Isn't that so weird, right? (laughs) Uh, No, that makes perfect sense, unless we're now going into transgendered Mother's Day. That's so interesting because as we get into the message, we're going to actually find out that men are called to be mothers as well. No, we are not. (laughs) Not using sound biblical exegesis and proper hermeneutics. Yeah, that ain't going to happen. But that's in the spirit. Everybody say in the spirit. spirit. Yeah, sorry, guys don't birth things in the spirit. Natural, it goes something like this. A little boy named Johnny goes up to his dad and he says, Dad, do you know the difference between a pack of cookies and a pack of dinosaurs? And he said, no, son, what's the difference? He said, thank God mom does the grocery shopping. <laughs> Johnny goes to Sunday school and his teacher says, Johnny, does you, do you do your prayers before you eat your meal? He said, no, my mom's a good cook. There's a lot of value to moms. A mom is a person who can sit down at a table and it's her favorite kind of pie. Mine is blackberry. If y'all want to get cooking, that's what I like. She sees there, there's four pieces of blackberry pie, five people. She looks at the pie, looks at the people and says, y'all have that. I never did like pie anyway. Everybody say, aww. Say, thanks, mom. Which is different than a pregnant woman who sees four pieces of pie, five people, eats all the pie and blames it on the baby. Right? So what you might not have thought about is that ladies, young ladies, all the single ladies, gentlemen, grandparents, and that 350-pound biker with all the tats back there who's looking at me funny. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) Everybody's looking. Is there really a guy back there? I made him up. (laughs) Every single one of us is called to be a mother. Why do you say that? Yeah, I I am curious. Why do you say that? I say that because every single one of us are called to give birth, not to natural children. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think you're going to be able to pull a biblical text out of the Bible that actually teaches this in context. But to give birth to our dreams, give birth to our destinies, to give birth to those things that God has called us to do. And I want to talk right now to the folks who especially think that they might be in a barren place in their life. (laughs) It's just nonsense. Maybe incapable of giving birth. Maybe, well, my time, I'm older. My time for dreams is over. Maybe caught in a humdrum job and and they don't know how to get out of it. Or they've started a new business and no clients are coming. 
Maybe somebody who's been fighting addiction over and over again. Somebody who just can't seem to find their soulmate or somebody who's trying to conceive naturally or somebody who's stuck in this place financially. I want to talk to each and every person who is stuck in their life in a place that may look barren, may look desolate, may look like there's, there's no dream to be birthed here. And I want to say directly to you this morning. There is a dream and a destiny for you that God has not yet brought to pass in your life. But the- so apparently God hasn't made me pregnant yet. That's the faith we're going to share this morning. I am positive that there's going to be a moment of conception that happens for you. No, 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 no. There will be no moment of conception while I listen to this sermon. Oh, man. This very day. You're going to leave here pregnant and you're going to go. No, I'm not birth to a dream. So right now I want you to look at your neighbor and say, I thought you had a bump. Are you serious? I'm making y'all fight today, aren't I? (laughs) Happy mother's day. I'm going to start in Psalm 113 and in Psalm 113 verse nine, it says he makes the barren woman. And actually, if you read Matthew Henry's commentary, if you read some different commentaries on this, God is not speaking directly to women in this particular moment. He's actually speaking to the situation. Everybody say the situation. And if you wanted to know how a woman got her name, Adam was responsible for naming everything in the garden. He was created first, gave up his rib. God created one, or God created female. He put it in front of Adam and said, name this right here. And he said, whoa, man. And it stuck. <laughs> Because it's all about that base, about that base. No, anyway. Uh, all right, let's take a look at Psalm 113. She's only quoting verse 9 and, and basically saying, oh, the commentaries say all this kind of stuff. No context whatsoever. There are only nine verses in Psalm 113. I think we should take a look at all nine of them. Psalm 113, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all the nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. To make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. So there you go. In Psalm 113, verse 9, is the Lord telling us men that we need to become pregnant with a dream? Not at all. That's not what's going on in this psalm. We continue. He makes the barren woman to be a homemaker and a joyful mother of spiritual children. Praise the Lord. That's your twisting of this text. Here's here's the stretch that I have for some of you gentlemen, grandparents, folks who think you're not in a place of birthing today. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not. And I will not be going to any Lamaze classes anytime soon. I have for you, especially guys, is when you take a step of faith, you have to step out into a place where you're not comfortable. Faith never looks comfortable. Faith never looks secure. So we're going to go ahead and just take our first step of faith this morning. And guys, we're going to borrow a line from Shania Twain. It goes like this. 
man, I feel like a woman. Nope, nope, I will not be applying that to myself, nor will I be meditating on it. Sorry. And you're going to have your chance to say that to me when I count to three. Are you ready in the house, guy? No, I will not. Yes. Come on, you ready to take a step up? Uh, every guy that said this at the time, you have to turn in your man card. I'm calling it, yeah. <laughs> It's Mother's Day. You show that woman of yours just how tough you are. You can handle this. You ain't scared of pink. It don't bite. Not you. Because you're made of bulletproof metal. Are you ready? One, two, three. Man, I feel like a woman. Yeah, they they really said that with gusto, didn't they? Uh Nice work, ladies. Give it up for your men and how brave they are. Yeah, turncoats. Yeah, that's what they are. Total traitors to the manhood brother alliance. Yeah. All right. Why did you do that? Because we have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. No, they did that because you talked them into doing something totally stupid under the pretense that this is what God wants them to believe when God doesn't want to believe any of this stuff. There is nothing at all comfortable about the birthing process. You see, once you do conceive, it's all okay for a minute. You actually get excited about buying some of the maternity clothes and you think they're cute until you actually have to start wearing them because it's required. And you think it's going to be fun to walk pregnant until you start walking pregnant. And you think it's going to be great until everything on your body swells, including your wrists, your ankles, your fingers, and your hair. Your hair swells when you're pregnant. Nothing is the same. You can't get comfortable. You can't sleep at night. You have to be comfortable being uncomfortable if you're going to step into this destiny that God has for you. Are you ready for this? No, I'm not because none of this is actually taught in Scripture. And just because you quoted Psalm 113 verse 9 out of context doesn't mean this is a biblical teaching. I like y'all. You know, there were several very important barren women in the Bible who ended up giving birth to great, great people of great influence. Yeah, there is a barren womb theme in the scripture, and it all points to Jesus. Miraculous birth. Yeah, that's right. Because what womb is more barren than the womb of a virgin? All the miraculous births we see in scripture are type and shadow pointing to the virgin birth of Christ going to follow one of them today. We're going to follow Hannah. And the story is in 1 Samuel 1. And in 1 Samuel 1, it tells the story of Hannah and her husband. And they were married for what they say is probably about 10 years. Because back in the Bible times, you could be married for 10 years and not have children. But after 10 years, if you did not have children, they expected you to take a second wife so that you could pass on your inheritance and your, your posterity and all these great things. To me, that sounds like a sentence straight out of prison. I can't imagine everything that Pastor David has to do to take care of me by myself. If he was expected to take care of two women and the fact that I would try and kill her when he wasn't looking... I cannot imagine the fights, the wars, the craziness that happened in these homes in Bible times. And I'm not even just making this up. If you go to 1 Samuel 1.6, it says, but her rival wife, we're talking about Hannah. So the rival wife is this woman named Peninnah. Uh, The husband marries the second wife and she starts having children, popping out babies like everything. So Hannah's feeling like a failure, like a rejection, like she doesn't count. And the rival wife, it says, 
The rival wife is just, well, let's find out what she's doing. It says, but her rival wife taunted her cruelly, rubbing it in and never, never letting her forget that God had not given her children. This went on year after year. Every time she went to the sanctuary of God, she could expect to be taunted. Hannah was reduced to tears and had no appetite. You see, once a year they took a trip, a holy trip, and they would bring their offerings to God and get with the priest. And on this trip, oh man, then Peninnah would really rub it in her face. Do you have anybody in your life that has been rubbing it in your face that you're not yet living your dream? Narcissistic, I said Jesus here. Who's rubbing it in your face that you're not living your dream? That you haven't yet gestated your dream thingy yet? What on earth are you talking about, Nicole? Does this ring a bell of familiarity with anybody? Well, she's being just, she's wrought with jealousy. She's wrought with comparison. She's really upset and she's trying to walk through this place. So we want to see what it took for Hannah to get from there to her place of blessing. And I don't know if you've ever struggled to get anything. We'd actually struggled to get pregnant with Ashton. We were on a five-year plan. Austin was seven years old and we got married. And so we thought, let's wait five years to have a baby. So he'll be old enough to babysit. (laughs) Y'all already know that didn't work out. (laughs) So at the end of the five years, we're ready. I mean, we've been waiting for this day on the calendar to come and we'd go and we start deciding we're going to have a baby. And right about that time, we got some news that I had cervical cancer. And when you have cervical cancer, you can't get pregnant. And they want me to go through these procedures that they say, I won't be able to carry a baby. So we walked through this whole thing for about 18 months past our date of, of wanting to get pregnant. They finally give us the thumbs up. They finally give us the go ahead. And we decide, okay, it's time. Month one goes by. Month two goes by. Month three goes by. Month four goes by. Month five goes by. And still no baby. You know, it got to the point where every month while we were trying to figure out if we were going to have a baby or not, I started not looking forward to that moment of finding out because I felt like that moment almost smacked me in the face every month. And I find it interesting that the key to your blessing is finding out that something is missing and something is late. Mm, The key to your blessing is finding out something is missing or late. What are you talking about? You know... In life, we don't want anything taken away from us. We don't want anything subtracted from our life. But to actually get from our barren place to our place of blessing, sometimes something has to go away. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, I'm totally at a loss here. I just, wow. Um, this is what happens when you read yourself into the biblical text. You start making these ginormous leaps of logic. I mean, they, they, we're talking chasms here. Of logical leaps. I mean, not even Evil Knievel can make it across these chasms. But, you know, Nicole Crank can. Just, you know, leaps and bounds. Woo! There she goes. Jumping around logically in ways that it just shouldn't be possible. And so it's that thing that had to go away that I was actually looking for. So if you're in the process of something being taken out of your life right now, you might just go ahead and think to yourself, I don't know if I like that thing, but that might actually be a step from me being barren to my blessing. Yeah, mm -hmm. this is just absurdity. So if we go back and we follow Hannah, and Hannah, the first thing that she did in verse 10, Hannah is in the place of God, Peninnah's rubbing her face in it, she doesn't know how to handle it, and the first thing she did, it says in verse 10, Hannah was in distress of soul and praying to the Lord and weeping bitterly. 
praying to the Lord and weeping bitterly. The first thing she did was pray. Everybody say pray. So the second thing she did was weep. So you, you got to do those because that's the principle. Pray, then weep, and then make sure the thing's getting taken away from you so that you're, you you can go from being barren to giving birth to your dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. You know, the temptation in the morning is is to somehow get distracted from your prayer time. How many of you intend to get up in the morning and pray? That's like your plan. You go to bed. You're like, I'm going to get in the morning and pray. And the Catholic people, they get up in the morning, do this, kneel by their bed. Oh, oh, y'all know what this is? Stuttering priest. She crossed herself and got stuck on one side. So we intend to get up in the morning and pray. So we get up and we're like, dear father, I just want to come to you this morning. Just with all my praise. I just want to say thank you for being so ding. You're for, oh, excuse me. I, I, I got to take this. I'm looking for some information. Oh, my brother wants to come over at six. Oh, six doesn't work. Come over at 630. Okay, sorry, God, where were we? Um, so I just wanted to say thank you, God. I just ask you to bless my family. Ding! Oh, excuse me, 6.30 doesn't work. How about 7? Well, 7 doesn't work. We're going to eat too late. You got to be here by 6.30. So anyway, God, what I was saying is bless my family, bless my finances. Ding! Well, if I can't come over then, look, brother, if you just can't even get along with me, blah, 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 blah. You know what? I'm going to Facebook about how destroying my brother is to our family. And then you get on Facebook and you go ahead and venture stuff on Facebook and talk about how upset you are. And then while you're on Facebook, you see that somebody else that's a friend of yours said something about you and you just got to respond to that. Or I just need to encourage them. And we get all busy. And suddenly you look up at the clock, you're running late for work. And now you got to rush to take a shower. Oh, it is so quiet in this Presbyterian church today. I did not realize y'all had been sainted. <laughs> That's how it goes, isn't it? We intend, but that time is stolen. The enemy is after that time specifically for one reason. Because it is the major key to going from bearing to birthing. Yeah, says you. I mean, you've invented a doctrine that is nowhere taught in Scripture. I tell you what, if we want to get out of that barren place, we've got to defend that time like it is a fortress. And no, this is the most important 15 minutes, five minutes. So, yeah, principle number one, you got to defend your prayer time like it's the most important thing ever. Prayer is, by the way, important, but it's not the key from going from barren to giving birth to your dream. Um, I don't know where she's getting this from. And remember, uh, Hannah actually prayed and weeped. So uh, is weeping going to be step two? five minutes, whatever it is for you. This is the most important time of my day. And let's reframe our thinking around that. If the president made an appointment with you every morning for 15 minutes from seven to seven fifteen, and he walked in the room, would you go ahead and set your phone aside while the president was speaking to you? Or would you text while he was talking to you? No, we would go ahead and pay attention to him. Dear Mr. President, how can I help you today? Thank you for talking to me, Mr. President. You know, is there anything you can do for me? Is there anything you want to tell me? We would want to be available to the president, right? We're not talking about being available for the president for a few minutes. Yeah, pack your bags. We're now going on a guilt trip. We're talking about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Master of the Universe. Yeah, we're talking about you, uh, well, you know, exercising the proper keys so that you can go from being barren to having your dream destiny. Yeah, right. The creator of all. So rephrasing it like the most important appointment of our day might help us get to that first step, which is pray. What's the first step? Pray. Pray. So the first thing Hannah did is she prayed. 
And in the next verse, it says, and she vowed. Say, no, 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 no. She wept. That was that's step two. Why aren't you telling us to weep? Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your handmaid and remember and not forget your handmaid, will, but will give me a son. So pray and then make a vow and then you can go from being barren to birthing your dream. I will give him to the Lord all of his life. The second thing she did is she made a vow. No, she wept. You skipped that part. Now, I have made vows before. Um, I fasted, and I remember, so I started fasting a lot there for a while, but but uh, several, several months ago, before I got at the beginning of it, I kind of went on one of my first fasts, and I was fasting desserts. I hadn't told anybody. It was the first day of my fast, and David wanted to go on for- Yeah, that's called a diet. Ride. So we jump in the car and he just starts driving around, 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 kind of got to a part of town. We're not in a lot. I said, where are we going? And about that time he pulls into Ted Drew's. <laughs> we never go to Ted Drew's. I need to try and make the people in Florida understand Ted Drew's is like heaven on earth. It's unbelievable. So all the family orders their ice cream and they're doing their thing. And they're like, what do you want? I'm like, oh, no, I'm not going to have anything. He's like, what are you dieting? I'm like, no, the word diet is on that word. I don't want to do that. (laughs) And he's like, are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. I don't want anything. So he's eating his ice cream. He feels so bad about it. I'm telling you, this is the honest truth. He takes a bite of the ice cream and he starts airplaning it to my mouth with all of the appropriate noises. Come here, baby. I'm going to give you some ice cream. Here it comes to you. I'm going. And he puts the ice cream in my mouth. I just want to tell you right now, Ted Drew's is like crack. You get one bite of this stuff and you just start shaking and you're like, how do I get more? So he's like, here we go. One more for you. And I'm like, come on. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and get me one of these. And I'm just walking, going up to the front, praying, hey, dear God, I'm going to start that fast tomorrow. I'll stay on two days at the end. You're getting double for your trouble. In Jesus name, amen. I'll take a tiramisu. I broke my vow. I broke my vow. Well, I vowed not to eat ice cream. Uh, barren womb for you then. Hannah vowed to give away her baby. So to take the enormity of that, let's just think about the fact that this baby is not 13 years old in its teenage years when we all want to give away our babies. <laughs> this child is the one she's been waiting for for 19 years. Now let's think back to the birthing room. Do you remember when you were in the birthing room or with someone or the husband, you were there and the woman is giving birth and she's like, oh my God, I hate you. Don't ever do this again. Don't you come near me ever again. Oh my God, don't leave me. Stay, stay, stay. She's in a- Yeah, that would be two OMGs in like what, 10 seconds from her? Wow. Mm-hmm. She goes from saint to demon in 2.2 seconds until that baby comes out. And then all she wants is, give me that baby. That's my baby. That's my treasure. Oh, give me that. That's the feeling in the moment. And yet she says, I will give it away for all of his days. That's a huge vow. I ate ice cream on day one. It's a vow. But I'm telling you, vows to God work. I'm thinking of a businessman here at Faith Church right now. He had started several businesses in there. So if, you, you're barren, if you're going through barrenness and you want to birth a dream, just make a vow. Make sure you pray first. Forget this, the weeping step. Uh, apparently that's not part of it. Successful. 
And he said, I'm going to start another business. And here's the difference. This business, I'm going to tithe off of my business and I'm making this a vow. Well, this business wasn't even open yet. And for three months, no doors open, nobody answering phone, nobody at the office. The business brought in $30,000 a month for three months in a row before the business even opened. I'm telling you, God honors a vow to him. Yeah, so the whole reason why is because, you know, he made a vow. So if you really want to make a gazillion dollars, you know, just make a vow like that and, wow, the sky's the limit for you. That's not what this text says. Actually, my theory on the matter is God's like, oh, you're going to tithe to me. Well, let me just make make you know that you're not going to lose anything by doing that. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to preload all that tithe money right into your business. So the first $90,000 that you end up tithing, you're not going to lose anything because you got that before you even open. We serve a God that when you honor him, oh, man, he honors you so. Oh, she gets so excited about that tithe money, doesn't she? <laughs> Weird. Uh- so you would think Hannah would possibly be losing something, but Hannah knows how good our God is. So the next thing that she does in the next verse, verse 12, it says, as she continued praying before the Lord, Elon noticed only her mouth, <laughs> only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. I think it was like one of those bad Chinese movies with the volume turned down. So Eli thought she was drunk. He said to her, how long are you going to be intoxicated? Put wine away from you. So here she is in the house of God. And so so the next step after, you know, praying, weeping, that apparently is optional. um, And then making a vow. The next step is praying in, in a way that makes it look like you're drunk. Got it. Being ridiculed by the priest. You know, people will challenge your press. And your focus and your determination. And sometimes even your very dream will press on you. The inner me will press on you saying that you can't make it to this place that you're called to go. And I want to say, don't get lost in that challenge. And don't let that challenge cause you to quit. Don't let that challenge cause you to give up. Don't let that challenge cause you to abort your dream. This dream is too Okay, so, yeah, not only do you need to go from being barren to birthing your dream, once you become pregnant with your dream, you don't want to have an abortion. Oh, man, this is just crazy. Precious for you to allow someone to make you lose your dream. Look at your neighbor right now and say, I'm not aborting my dream. And she was so upset. She was praying. And you can understand what she was saying. I just wonder if you ever prayed. And it was words that people didn't understand. You, you didn't even necessarily understand. You're just like, oh, God, I don't want that man in my heart. Anybody ever prayed a prayer like that? Yeah, I'm going to pray a prayer like that to pray that I never have to hear anything like that again. You know what the wild thing about your father is? He understands his children's language the way only a parent can understand your language. Those groanings and those utterings that maybe you don't even understand. It's like a toddler and a mama. Have you ever been looking at a toddler and the toddler comes up to you and they're like, 
and you're like, oh, and you look at the mom panicked and she's like, he likes the blue in the red car. He likes the blue car best, but he wants to share it with you. And you're like, oh, of course, that's what that meant. God, your father is like that with you. And as you're communicating about your dream, as you're carrying this child, sometimes words will come out and they won't be carrying the child of your dream. Yeah, that's not what the opening chapters of First Samuel are about at all. Formed or even understandable, but God knows your heart and your vow. And when you pray and when you're pressed and you continue praying, your God is on your side. He's gone before you. He's letting no weapon formed against you prosper. He's going and clearing a way where there is no way. Clearly, the weapon of false doctrine has prospered against these people. That's all I got to say about this matter. We continue. Because he doesn't want your blessing to be lost. Speaking of losing blessings, I have lost my blessing before. Um, we were in, I think it was. Where'd you find it after you lost it? Was it under the, you know, back behind the couch? Was it. You know, under the rug, did you accidentally kick it under your mattress? Where'd you find it after you lost it? ACs and Ashton was about three. And I was just, you know, I was doing this and I had her hand and I saw something I liked. So I let go of her for like five seconds in a row, looked at it, thought, eh, put it back and went and she was gone. So your daughter's your dream. Got it. Okay. This ever happened to anybody? David was in the store too. And I did not want to admit that I had lost our precious child. So I go looking for about five minutes by myself. Ashton, where are you at? Ashton, Ashton, Ashton. About five minutes later, I have to get David involved. About five minutes after that, we got to get the sales lady involved. Now it's like a manhunt. Ashton, Ashton. They're on the intercom. Ashton Crank, would you please come to customer service? I'm like, she's three. She can't read the signs. It takes us about 15, 20 minutes to find this little three-year-old who cannot manage to be quiet for two minutes in a row at home is hiding in the middle of one of the clothing rounders playing the best game of hide-and-go-seek ever, <laughs> cracking up that we can't find her. I mean, there have been times in my life that I wanted to lose my child and she wouldn't get lost, so I hid for a minute. <laughs> but I never truly wanted to lose my child. And I never want you to lose your dream. So when the press comes, when the pain comes, when it gets hard, don't give up. Look at your neighbor and say, don't give up. Don't give up. Never surrender. Yeah, I think I saw that in a movie once. So in case you're wondering about when you should get an epidural when you're, when you're having a baby. The... <laughs> so are you birthing a dream? Whatever you do, don't abort it. I mean, after you've you know been experienced conception of your dream... Then you have to know the right time to have the epidural during the birthing process. And this includes you men. Yeah. Best time is to get an epidural when you're pregnant. And the best time to take it out is after your child has gotten married. (laughs) And all the parents in the house said, amen. (laughs) So the next thing Hannah did was go in peace and obey. Yeah, as if somehow Hannah's story reveals a secret pattern that you just got to follow the same pattern and whammo, blammo, you're going to birth a dream. Yeah, that's not what this text is about. What does that mean? Well, Eli said to her, after he pressed on her, after she wouldn't give up, after she made a a vow to God, and even with the press, she continued praying. Then the man of God says to her, go in peace 
And may the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. Hannah said, let your handmaid find grace in your sight. So she went her way and ate. Her countenance was no longer sad. You see, we have a choice that we have to make. Moms, dads, grandmas, students, you. You think right now that this, you're not qualified. And I'm here to tell you right now, I'm speaking to you. You have a choice to make. The birth of your dream will only happen if you allow God to get you pregnant. With I am not the Virgin Mary. God ain't getting me pregnant. I'm a dude. That doesn't work that way. Dream that he wants. You see, my theory is that Hannah, if she had had a child earlier, she wouldn't have been willing to give the child up to God for all of his days. And you see, this child that Hannah was having was so special, was so important. God needed Samuel. Samuel was a prophet that heard from him. Samuel was a major. God needed. Wow. Prophet in the Bible. Samuel is the one who chose Saul as king. Samuel is the one that chose David as king. Samuel is the one that helped guide uh, David's life and guide all of Israel in its infancy stages of a nation. Samuel was so important that God couldn't mess it up by answering Hannah's prayer too early because she might have kept him. I'm telling you right. Yeah, that's your theory. No biblical text actually says any of that. Now, your dream might be so big. Your dream might be so important. Of course, I mean, it's me we're talking about here. You know, I'm so important and I'm so big, you know. Uh, This is just fueling narcissism like you wouldn't believe. You might think it's a little thing, but really you're you're having a 15-pound baby. You didn't know it was this big. You see Isaac in the Bible, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaac's mother was barren. John the Baptist who came and he declared Jesus was the Savior. He was the Lord. He was born of a barren woman. Right. Again, the whole barren womb thing theme in Scripture points to Christ's miraculous birth. Samson, the Nazarite with the long hair, the strong man in the Bible, he was born of a barren woman. Joseph, the coat of many colors, the one who saved all of Israel in famine, the one who was second to Pharaoh, he was born of a barren woman. That's right, he was. All of that's pointing to Jesus, who was also born of a barren woman. What is more barren than a virgin's womb? You see, you might think you're barren, but God might just be making sure that you have this baby at the right time so it's lined up, so the blessing can happen exactly the way. Yeah, you skipped what that's all pointing to, and that is Jesus. But it needs to happen in your life. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you must be having a big baby. Yeah, again, all of those barren wombs do not point to me. They point to Christ, and that's the problem with this preaching. Which reminds me, do you know what the difference between a model and a nine-month pregnant woman is? Nothing if you know what's good for you. (laughs) New new parents or people not having kids, I'm going to write that down. (laughs) So as I'm getting ready to close here in just a couple of minutes, the fifth not soon enough thing, Hannah, verse 20, Hannah became pregnant and in due time, she bore a son and named him Samuel because she said, I have asked of the Lord and he has given me right now. I want you to say I'm due. I want you. No, I will not say that. That's not what this passage is about. Oh, that when you ask of the Lord, he gives to you. 
And she gives, Hannah goes on to give Samuel to God all of her days. But I want you to know just because God took, God didn't take, she offered, she gave. Just because she gave Samuel up, she didn't come out with less. She came out with more in verse 21. And Hannah visited, the Lord visited Hannah. She bore three sons and two daughters and the child Samuel grew before the Lord. I want you to know this, that that when that man vowed to give a tithe of his business. Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God, the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience, getting ready to do business with people, especially the men there, hoping to impregnate them with dreams so that they can leave pregnant and then go later and give birth to their dreams after having conceived on Mother's Day at Faith Church in St. Louis. When you vow to do a thing for God, when she vowed to give God her child, I think it would have worked out this way. She got Samuel and she could have kept Samuel and that might have been the only thing she ever had. But she got Samuel and she gave Samuel and she got five more children. And I find it interesting that five in the Bible is the number of grace. I think she was going to have one, but God graced her with five more. So, I mean, give a lot of money to Faith Church St. Louis and God will multiply it five times, you know. That's just the way that our God is. And I can think of a couple of folks in our church. They were a couple. They were getting ready to start a new business. And as they were starting the business, they felt pretty comfortable about him quitting his job because she had this great corporate job. So he quits his job. He starts the business. And within just like 90 days of starting the business, she gets laid off from her corporate job. This is a big deal. They're talking financial ruin in their life. So they pray. They bow to God. They're going to tithe off the business. They have no income coming in for the business. They're going to tithe off the business. They have no income. They can't pay their own bills. They continue praying in the press. And within 14 months, everybody say 14 months. They were so busy, they had to add 200% office space. They had started a second division in their company because... See, this proves that, you know, the the Hannah approach to, you know, getting pregnant with dreams, you know, and filling barren wombs will work for you, too. You got to pray. You got to make a vow. Forget the weeping part. Um, And then, you know, whatever. This is so awful growing so fast and they became the world record holder. They were leading the entire world, not the nation, not the state, but the world in sales all over the entire world. They were successful beyond their own imagination and their own dream. And I'm here to tell you that was a few years ago and it wasn't a momentary blip. They've continued to hold that number one spot. And I don't know if their company is three or four or five years old, but I'm here to tell you their company is stronger than ever. And now they are flying them to other countries to find out how they are running their business. This business that they vowed to God, this business that came out of a barren place, this business that looked like it was in a press, this business that continued to put God first and that God has continued to bless to make all of the nations know this is what I can do when someone will serve me with their heart and believe me for great things and then for the rest of us you know that uh, that doesn't happen to us apparently we're just a total letdown for god and god can't let us get, let the world know how great he is because we just languish in the middle class unbelievable So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want done, to- done, 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 no. 
Yeah, there you go. Talk about an adventure and missing the point and totally bizarre preaching. So there you go, man. I hope you're pregnant after hearing that. Um, actually, I, don't, I really don't wish that on you. That was just narcissistic, utter nonsense. And this is what happens when you think the Bible is about you rather than Christ. You end up you know, thinking all kinds of strange things and thinking this is what God would have us know. And none of it is actually what God would have us know because, as Christ says, the scriptures bear witness about him. Yeah, that's what he says. So what do you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, by Carrie's death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.